Hey everybody, this is Tony with Fuller Brown, and I'm coming back to you with yet one more episode. You guys, I am just so happy. I'm going to stop saying thank you, because I feel like I say that every single time, which is fine. But I'm just so happy with every single one of you that are listening. The profound messages that I have received, the the good criticism, the bad criticism, I welcome it all. And I just want to say thank you so much. And I said I wasn't going to say thank you, but I just said it anyway. But uh, that is how I feel. So you can't tell me how I feel. I can tell you how I feel. I feel happy. I feel grateful. And and I'm just super excited that you guys keep coming back. I'm just so overwhelmed. Um, but that being said, this next episode of Fuller Brown is brought to you in part by a good friend. And let me tell you this. Do you guys watch TV? I'm assuming all of you do, because if you don't, then that's kind of weird. One of my favorite shows to watch was How to Get Away with Murder. Okay, and on this show, if you guys watch the show, Viola Davis was phenomenal as Annalise Keating. And she was like the best lawyer out there and the best of the best. Well, let me tell you, today on this episode, I have the Annalise Keating of Oklahoma. Let's say it that way, okay? Yes. Except it's not a woman, it's a man. And his name is Javier Hernandez. And you guys... I am going to admit something uh, on air because, you know, I'm recording and I was really excited to to get him to come on my podcast because I was a huge, I can't say fan, but I, I was really inspired by his story and, and I was really inspired to how far he has come. And I was just really, really excited that I was able to 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 have him agree to come on my humble little show and and just come share his story without further ado as always cue the music Hey, dear listeners, this is Tony coming here from the Fuller Brown headquarters with a now good friend of mine, Javier Hernandez. Yes. Hello, Tony. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, thank you for coming. Thank you for saying yes. I'm, I know you have a busy schedule for sure. So I'm just super glad you were able to do this. And um, thank you for making time. Yeah, of course. No, uh, this is a uh, part of what I do. You know, I think part of this is uh, or part of what I do is being able to share my story being able to share my time and then also sharing my experience with the community, with our people so that uh, yeah. they, they understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so I appreciate, I appreciate everything that you're doing here. Well, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for being here and, and for inspiring. Of course. Cause I'm about to say something that is going to make me sound really, really just like an odd person. <laughs> I have admired you before I even knew you. Because I have a lot of friends that were like, did you hear about this guy? 
uh, one guy, he's like, well, because, you know, you're a DACA recipient. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, this DACA recipient guy became a lawyer. I'm like, what? Yeah. No way. And ever since then, and I heard about this, what, maybe last year. And I was just like, what? No way. And I was like, I wish I could meet him. That sounds really cool. And now we're right here. And now we're here. Same face to face. I know. So I'm just, I'm telling you face to face. Thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for allowing uh, me to talk to you for a bit. And thank you for for whatever you do in the community. Because I know you do a lot. Yeah, Because I know, you. you know, I have people listening. You're a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I am uh, Oklahoma's first undocumented attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a battle around the nation and se- several states where like Cesar Vargas fought in New-, in New York for three years to become an attorney. And fortunate, Oklahoma didn't have that requirement. Uh, you know, it said, if you're a good person, you can go to law school, you can pass the bar exam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll give you a license uh, without a requirement of you being a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident. So and it's so, not like that in every state? It's not like that in every state. And it's actually changing in a lot of states. Oh, wow. Um, so I think there are about seven states, maybe nine now, that allow um, undocumented people like us to mm-hmm. be uh, lawyers. And so... Uh, when I first became a lawyer, uh, I remember Oklahoma City University, where I attended school, mm-hmm. posted about it on their page. And I go through and I read some of the comments. And, uh, you know, I think the one that stuck with me the most was like, how is he here illegally? And he's helping people apply the law and un- understand the law. And I was mm. like, huh. I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I get their point. I'm not going to sure. say... Uh, you're dumb and wrong, even though I do think that. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, reading through some of those messages and then just kind of uh, really understanding the impact of what it meant to be an un- undocumented attorney. Yeah, it um, has a lot of weight on it. A lot. Yeah, 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 it does. Um, and and I don't know that all of my peers or all of the lawyers in Oklahoma know that, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly feel it a lot. And even it, just because I'm brown, um, yeah. I feel it a lot in the courtroom. I've had experiences where I go in with the with an intern of mine and I say, look, the court, the courtroom is empty right now. In 30 minutes, there'll be 12 white attorneys and myself. And it's happened, <laughs> it's happened multiple occasions, you know? Yeah. Um, and so in, in going through this journey, my whole goal is to, to say, I shouldn't be the only one. And I, and I hope that I can just provide some perspective for anyone who's looking to do that as well. Whether well, be, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Like, yeah, no, go ahead. I didn't even know that was possible. Mm-hmm. So when I went to college a bit, I didn't even think about doing that. Not that I'm going to do it because I don't think I'm, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to do something like that. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but um, I never knew first of all, that you could. And then now knowing that I can't, I feel like this is going to inspire a lot of people that also think maybe like me that they can't, but they can, and they probably will now, Yeah, you know, listening to your story. And, and so tell them, tell them a little bit about you. Of course. So I was born in Mexico city. Mm -hmm. Uh, I arrived to the United States when I was one and my mother and I were uh, meeting some family members in Texas, and then eventually we made our way up to Oklahoma where there were some more jobs, of course. Okay. And so we we live in Oklahoma from the time I'm like one and a half to now, right? And uh, I grew up in South Oklahoma City. Uh, I remember, you know, living in Oak Grove, Southwest 20th Apartments, 
uh, and then I live off the shield. Live off the shield. I went to Lee Elementary for pre-K, and then I went to Rockwood Elementary. And at Rockwood Elementary, I was there, uh, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade. As I was mentioning to you earlier, yeah. um, I, I had a good experience there because uh, one of my first grades, first grade teachers was Native American. My principal was black, and then my third grade teacher was black, and I had um, other Hispanic Latina teachers um, around. And then that was just an overall good experience for me because I hear so much now and I think back to, to a little bit of trauma of what I would have had maybe if all of my teachers were white all yeah. throughout that process. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Rockwood Elementary, I started, I actually started my, uh, my law abiding side, uh, early on and I was a peer mediator. I don't know if what, you know what a peer mediator is. I mean, isn't this like, okay, no, I don't. No. So basically, um, and it's actually through the court systems. And the court system has this uh, thing called the mediation. So okay. if you and I are in our argument, we'll bring in a third person to mediate between us and say, all right, let's come to an agreement. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. But yeah. I like, you never know. So we were peer mediators uh, in elementary. And so we would, in the morning, make sure that people were walking in the right, not running through the hallways, getting to the class, um, not fighting in the hallways <laughs> and things like that. And so I wore my little vest and all that. Third, I think it was fourth and fifth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, I would do the announcements. I would fold the flag, um, you know, pledge of allegiance, proud because, well, you know, I'm, I'm American, right? In, in elementary, um, so that was third, fourth, fifth grade. You know, I'm folding the flag, doing announcements, saying the pledge of allegiance, all of that, um, without really any, any thought of what it meant. Mm -hmm. So sixth grade comes around, or really fifth grade during that time. Um, they're sending out applications for like charter schools, like private schools, you know, it was Bell Lyle and Independence and Aztec and Dove. Mm -hmm. it, I remember my classmates getting their, their letters and uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, when am I going to get mine? Like, I'm a good student. I've done everything I think I need to, to get to a different school. Yeah. And I say, I say that because, um, in the neighborhood I grew up in, I mean, my cousins were living two houses down the street from me, selling drugs, having the police called on them daily, um, fights just happening up and down the street. Mm -hmm. um, I lived on a dead end, and so I had a creek next to my house. And barbed wire in the creek just in case somebody was getting chased by the police. I knew where that was, just, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, so that was kind of the the environment I grew up around. And, and, and I say it now, they're young, dumb, and naive, really. I would hang out with, like, what was the Juaritos, and then I would hang out with, like, the Centrals. And then they were like, you know, go say this to them, and then go say this to them, and then the South Side, and then go say this to them. Y yo, pues, no sabiendo todo, ¿verdad? Oh, I'm over here, hanging over here. Yeah. And so I was just kind of a friend with everyone. Mm -hmm. um, never really chose group and just kind of stuck around. But with my mom and I realized, and my parents, really, they, they're like, hey, you know, aparte, they, like, you know, pay attention to what's going on yeah and so that's when i was like thinking to myself when am i going to get this um this application for this different school because i knew i couldn't go to roosevelt if i went to roosevelt i, I knew i would fall into some more trouble yeah so um dove science academy is where um i ended up going sixth grade through 12th grade um as i mentioned earlier you know también it was a it was a culture shock for me um I went into a school with the majority Turkish teachers. Mm -hmm. I went from an elementary school where I knew just about everyone to knowing maybe I think it was two people at Dove Science Academy. And so that was, uh, it's like a mini college. Um, I've had this conversation with my, my friend Jose. Uh, shout out Jose Alvarez, Football Factory. 
And uh, we've had this conversation because he went to class in SAS and he, he said the same thing. He said it was like a mini college for him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I went to Dove Science Academy in uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, whole college prep course, you know, doing all of that. I was, uh, for those uh, for those of you who don't know, science, Dove Science Academy, we were split up into six, um, like, A, B, C classes. Um, and we always talked about how supposedly A was like the, the more higher, I guess, talented book-wise. Mm-hmm. And then B was like kind of a middle ground. And then C was like the ones that were struggling. Um, and it was so like even from then, we were always kind of given an A, B, C title. Um, and so that kind of stuck with me throughout throughout everything else. I'm like, well, you know, even now, um, there's just categories of different things that you have to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, so sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and I'm thinking to myself, yo, I'm, I need to go to college. I'm going to college. Verdad? Um, did you know OLAP, Oklahoma's Promise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people do in Oklahoma now. Um, you know, it's state aid, financial aid to pay for your tuition. So seventh, eighth grade comes around, ninth grade, that's when you're supposed to apply. Um, and in, in ese tiempo, you didn't have to be a U.S. resident or a citizen. And so I applied, and I was working on my application, and uh, the question's like, are you a U.S. citizen or permanent resident? Y yo no sé. You know, so I took it home, talk, sat down, talked to my parents. Mine was like, oh, well, um, you're neither. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, so you didn't know until you were in high school? <laughs> I didn't know until I was like 15, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I lived, you know, kind of blind and not knowing, not understanding. And that's why I go back to doing the Pledge of Allegiance and the folding of the flag and, mm-hmm. you know, raising the flag outside in the pole. Like I'm staring at the American flag in the morning every day. So that was an interesting thing to think about now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 15 years old. And that's when I find out, you know, I'm undocumented. And so to me, I'm like, well, what does that really mean? You know, I didn't care to really find out. Um, there was really no one else to talk about it with, you know, besides my parents and their experience. And so I go back to the school and I tell them my situation. They're like, oh, well, you know, you should be okay. Um, there, there should be some scholarships out there you can get and this mm-hmm. and that. All right. Well, I keep, a, you know, I apply. Fortunately, I got uh, OLAP. I was granted OLAP. Um, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, tenth grade. I play some soccer, do some chess, choir. I did a bunch of National Honor Society like they go, you know, I was trying to be involved, be the good kid, um, and I always just like school. So that yeah. was, that's another thing. If you like school, then <laughs> school can be easy. Si no te gusta estar ahí, you know, and like so it's traditional. It's a struggle if you don't yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's not you're not so traditional in a way. It's it's really difficult. Something my little brother was talking about the other day. Um, but you know, I apply for all these colleges, and pues, I'm getting accepted. I'm getting accepted, and I'm thinking to myself, what well, do I want to play soccer in college? I knew I had that opportunity and, you know, even then it was still not talked about a lot um, to have that opportunity to go play a sport and go to college. And so I was going to give up soccer and I thought to myself, I'm going to OSU in Stillwater, my number one dream school. After touring, after seeing, mm-hmm. after doing soccer practices at different schools, I was like, no, nah, OSU, okay, OSU Stillwater and I'm going to be an architect, an okay. archi- architectural engineer. I was set. So ACT, GPA, all my involvements, yo, we're going to give you a lot of scholarship money. OLAP is going to cover your tuition. We're going to give you room and board. Y yo, listo. I'm ready. All right, you know, yeah. I'm ready. So I go out. I go to orientation. I pick out my classes. I do my placement classes. I get my roommate. 
um, all that I needed was to buy my books. Maybe like a month and a half, a month before school started, um, I get a call from the admissions, the counselor that had been helping me. Mm-hmm. Hey, Javier, you know, we know your situation. You explained it to us from the beginning. We told you it would be okay. We apologize. Because of your status, you're undocumented. You can't accept this state or federal money that we're giving out right now. No way. Yeah. And so because all of my scholarship was that money, mm-hmm. um, I just couldn't accept it. I couldn't take it. Um, and maybe I could have now when I look back on it, but I would have to be paying it back to the government. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, which a lot of us do anyway with the federal loans. Right. <laughs> but, you know, that was that was the reality of what happened to me and, and OSU basically just taking that away. And, and and I don't blame them. I just, you know, no one really understood what it meant to be undocumented and go into a school because yeah. most students who were international were here on visas, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, like, the undocumented student, um, we were just kind of getting to that point where our generation was really getting into school, into mm-hmm. college, and things like that. Um, and so that happened with the OSU. You know, I kind of fell into some depression um, for a little quick, a little while, and then I thought to myself, well, I have other options. Um, because USAO had actually, uh, the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. they've actually offered me their presidential leadership class scholarship as well. Okay. Um, you know, I went in, did this fancy interview with my tie and my white shirt and the round table of like eight people, you know, tell us your story. And so I tell them everything. I get a week call a week later. Hey, we'd like to offer you a full ride scholarship. All right. And I thought to myself, I don't even need to play soccer there. But they were one of the best soccer um, teams in Oklahoma at that time. Wow. And I thought to myself. So it worked out. Well, I fingers crossed. I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, So I go to USAO and I do my tour. I'm getting ready to sign up for my classes um, and register. And you go to the registrar's office. Everybody knows the registrar's office. And they said, do you have proof of citizenship? And that's just the question I didn't know how to answer at that time still. Yeah. You know, I had a social security number and some people didn't even have that. But I had one that said not valid for employment. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first arrived to Oklahoma, mom got sick and uh, they told her to go to a social security office. They gave her a social security number and they gave me one. But on it, stamped, not valid for employment mm. in the United States. So I never went back to USAO after that. Like that was literally the last time I never called. I never checked in. They never called me, nothing else. That was it. And I was just afraid. I was like, well, that's it. And then I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to school anymore. Um, I don't want to do a triple C. I'm just going to go work. I'm, I'm done, you know? Mm-hmm. Tough. It was tough. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful to my cousin Sergio and my friend Daniel Gallegos, who both graduated from Santa Fe South. They were already at Mid-America Christian University. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Gallegos had um, invited me to go try out with the team. And this is all at the same time. I had Try it for the soccer team? For the soccer team, okay. yeah. So, I'm, you know, I've applied for OSU OKC or OSU Stillwater. I have all my scholarship money. I have USAO on the line as well that I know I have a full ride scholarship. And then I have Mid-America Christian University offering money to go play soccer. And then because of my GPA, ACTs, and my extracurriculars, I was going to get some other private scholarship as well from the school. And so I have these these places lined up, and I'm like, well, you know, OSU is out. USAO is out. And then I didn't even think about playing soccer because I was just done. I was like, that's it. Yeah. I was like, that's it. And, well, <clears throat> fortunately, I made the right choice. I went to school at Mid-America Christian University. I went to school, and I paid, <laughs> I paid $1,000 for four years of school. And 
that's just how you know fortunate i was to yeah. with my soccer scholarship with my extracurriculars um act and 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 so those things really helped me just get into school for free and and as an undocumented student in 2010 i'm thinking to myself how is this even possible right and then i'm staying in the dorms and then i don't have money for food so what do i do i start washing dishes in the cafeteria and they say all right wash dishes and you can eat whatever you want all right i will you know i'm gonna wash dishes so for two years i wash dishes and then finally daca comes around 2012 boom mm-hmm. sense of hope i'm like hey i'm like yeah let's yeah. do it you know? all right let's do it i can drive without my mom having to worry about me getting pulled over and not having a license I can speed and I'll just get a speeding ticket instead right. of going to jail. Because I, I was going to mention that earlier, uh, yeah. but I don't want to interrupt your story. No, it's such a good story. But I don't know because you said you didn't know you were undocumented until you were in high school. Yeah, I knew all along. Wow, and I think that installs a different kind of fear. Absolutely, because obviously my parents. I mean, we're all. I'm on, I'm a DACA recipient now, so yeah. I'm I'm fine now. But for the longest time you really are living in fear. Mm-hmm. You're living in fear of, of police. You're in fear of just the law. And because, for example, if somebody were to get raped yeah, and they're undocumented, what is the first thing that comes to their mind? I can't go to the police because yeah. if I go to the police, they're going to find out I'm undocumented. So it's a different kind of struggle that I don't think people realize. Absolutely. So when you said that about the police, I was like, I remember all the time my mom was like, no, after 8 p.m., you cannot go out. Mm-hmm. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. I'm like, why? Because you just don't understand. Yeah. And then one time I did finally get pulled over. How old are you? I was 17. I was okay. a senior in high school. And I was like, man, everything's going to be fine. I went to the southeast part of Oklahoma City to drop off a friend. I came back and I got pulled over. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. You know, I I really didn't think it was this serious. Yeah. Until the officer came to my window, like, uh, do you know how um what was the first thing he said? Do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, No. He was like, Well, you have a broken tail light. Oh yeah. So I was like, Oh, okay. I'll fix it. No, I need you to get out of the vehicle. I'm like, wait, what? What? I need you to get out of the vehicle. Okay. Uh do you have an ID? And I had I had some idea. I don't know what kind of idea it was. ID, no? I think so. Now, here you go. Do you have a driver's license? Um, no. Boy, this cop cursed me out. Yeah? L- like, Gosh. I've never been cursed out like that. And I was telling you earlier, because uh, to me, as a kid, I was bullied a lot by white kids. So this was a white officer. When he started yelling at me, I was like, um, okay, am I going to be okay? And he was like, I need, what are you doing on this part of town at this time? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. But that didn't help the no, fear that we've had as kids. Exactly. You know, to, that something's going to happen to you. And then you have that experience. Mm-hmm. And then all that hypothetical fear becomes a reality. Yes. So, did that happen to you? Did Were you growing Twice. up? Really? Twice. So let me tell you about my experience. I almost want to cry about it, think about it, because it's, yeah, scary. So I'm coming back from a high school dance at Dove Science Academy, and I'm getting off the highway on 15th in May, uh-huh. or 15th, right here on 15th. Um, yeah. And uh, getting off the highway, and there's a checkpoint. 
and you know high school we weren't drinking nothing like that no one was intoxicated and got off the highway and i'm driving my girlfriend's truck and there's no way nothing i can do right so i'm like dang i don't have a license i know i know what's going on and uh you know pull up roll the window down uh license and registration all that i'm like uh well i don't have a license uh, all right well i'm gonna ask you step out of the car all right um why don't you have your license um so i'm just you know been lazy haven't got it where are you guys coming from da, da, da. well we're from data science academy oh i've heard about this school i heard it's a really good school da, da, da. Mm-hmm. so you're a good student i was like yeah i tried you know do good it's probably like 9 p.m and uh he's like all right well i'm gonna ask you to come sit in my car uh, all right <laughs> i'm sitting in the front seat of the cop car he's like do you have somebody you can call to come pick this truck up yeah <sighs> yeah call my uncle straight away you know my uncle shows up and uh you know i'm sitting in the cop car for like 10 minutes waiting for my uncle and finally my uncle shows up um he lets us drive the truck away and uh you know my uncle showed up and he immediately también flashes light in his face let me see your license and because uh, my my uncle's a dark brown hispanic man también mm-hmm. and uh that was the first time um so i remember that you know very vividly like nah, sir i just haven't got one i'm lazy you know that was my response um and then the second time también i was coming down 15th i was coming from meridian down 15th to portland and all of that and there's a sheriff stop uh checkpoint también and so I was, uh, I was 19 right before, this was right before DACA. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one I was 17, the second one I was 19. And, you know, everyone's getting pulled over. No one's, you know, license and registration. I was like, uh, pulled out my wallet. I'm like, sir, I don't have one. My girlfriend's calling her dad. Hey, dad, come pick us up. Um, they pop my, you know, they get us out of the car. They pop our trunk open. It was the craziest thing because it's just lights everywhere, like those street big lights and, sheriffs everywhere and the sheriffs yeah. had these machines on the side of the road where they were checking driver's license oh really yeah it was the craziest thing um and so that day i really thought i was gonna get taken to jail because they're my girlfriend's dad pulls up and they're like what's his birthday and what's his name and like well you know this is his name i don't know his birthday he's only they've right. been together for a little while and so a supervisor kind of comes over and he's like you know what let him go they towed my car, they gave me a ticket, and I was on my way. And, you know, those things happened right before DACA. See, it's funny that you say that, because the second time, or the third time, I had already applied for DACA. Mm, okay. And I got pulled over in the middle of it, and I was like, oh my, because I don't know the law. Total freak out we don't, Yes, I, I don't know what you... I don't want to say it like this. I don't know what you can get away with, because mm-hmm. at that time, I had just applied. So I get pulled over and he was like, where's your driver's license? And I said the same thing you said. I'm like, um, I haven't gotten it yet. Like, I'm, I'm waiting a little bit. He's like, why? I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, do you, are you, he asked me if I was a citizen. He was like, are you a citizen in the U.S.? I'm like, I'm not going to answer you that. Yeah. Good well, answer. that pissed him off. Yeah. Of I need course. you to get out of the vehicle. I'm like do i am i under arrest because by then i was kind of searching not to fight back but to to know yeah, know your rights yeah know your rights, absolutely. but even then i was still really afraid yeah and he was like so are you a citizen i'm like <clears throat> i'm not gonna answer you that sir mm-hmm. well i need you to get out of the vehicle am i under arrest i need you to get out of the vehicle like am i under arrest he didn't answer he eventually opened my door, 
And as soon as he opened the door, I was like, this is it. Mm, yeah. This is going to ruin my chance. I don't know what he was going to do. If he was going to send me to jail, then there's a different question. What's going to happen to me after that? Exactly. So then I was like, okay. So I said, sir. He's like, yes. I'm like, I just applied for the DACA program. Do you know what that is? He's like, no. What? What? Like, what? No. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So that's the reason why I haven't got my license. I'm waiting for that so I can do everything here legally. He didn't know what it was. Of course he did. And he was like, okay, I don't care. He gave me two tickets and he took my car. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's the thing with um with our status and our community <clears throat> as a whole. We have to educate people. And it's unfortunate that this law enforcement officer um, wasn't aware of the law. And, and it's a disconnect between state, federal levels, you know, yeah. and a disconnect between communities um, and just forums. Really, like, you know, imagine, imagine. Uh, all right. So Oklahoma County has this 287G partnership with ICE. And so surely enough, everybody in the sheriff's office has been briefed on what it means to have this program with ICE, mm -hmm. right? But when a new law comes in to help our community, like DACA, there was no debriefing on that. I don't. Yeah. I doubt, I highly doubt that they were like, all right, officers, this is what's going on with the DACA program. You'll, Clearly. Probably, have, you'll probably have these encounters with these people who are on their way to the status. Yeah. And and there's no, I, don't, I doubt there's any briefing on that. You know? Yeah, because at um, first when the DACA program came out, I didn't, not that I didn't believe it. I was just, it was really surreal. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's probably a hoax. <laughs> like, this can't be real. Because we learn not to dream too high. Yeah, of course. Unfortunately, we dream not to, I mean, we we were taught not to dream too high. When I was going through that in high school, when I was trying to apply for colleges, I knew I couldn't go. Yeah. I knew I couldn't afford to go. So I didn't. Mm. And I eventually did go to OCCC to start. And, and even though I never finished, but um, it was that fear. Of course. The, the I'm going to have to work extra hard mm -hmm. for this. And I was like, is it worth it? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to get a job. Yeah. You yeah. Know, at that time, the DACA um, program wasn't, you know, yeah. working. So I was like, what's the point of going to school and, if and I, I think can't that's... use it? I think that's a f that's a common fear even now for and, and I'm thinking of everyone who didn't get DACA mm -hmm. and everyone now who's still arriving to the U.S. at a young age and thinking about the opportunity that we have here. You know, um, we help manage some some construction businesses in our law firm, mm -hmm. and these construction businesses are owned and operated by undocumented um, folks, mm -hmm. right? And and we have opportunity here that. Um, hopefully that I, I can put some light into right and say hey look this is just because and we say this a lot just because someone tells you no doesn't mean stop right we're gonna find a different way to go do it yeah whatever that may be right so we go back to daca we go back to you know the education we go back to to really just telling our stories and and I'm thinking about DACA and how it, it changed my life and how it's impacted your life right yeah yeah and then just everyone else um but then we're always thinking about the ones who haven't been able to benefit from it. And I say that because, you know, I still have family members. I still have friends, you know, our community, our people who who don't have any type of status, who are make, making a living. Um, and so for anyone who, anyone who listens and, and thinks, you know, I can't do anything right now, 
there are different ways, you know, get with people who are um, maybe in the same situation as you start mm -hmm. brainstorming, yeah. reach out to us. You know, we, I'm always happy to sit down and brainstorm and, and push some ideas and, and say, you know, this is something that you can do, uh, something to consider. Yeah. Um, and, and I say that because I had a young man a couple of weeks ago said, hey, I want to be in the army. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about your status. And is that really something that you can obtain, attain right now? And uh, he's like, no, I want to do it now. I want to do it now. I'm like, well, you can't right now. You know, in, in reality, you can't right now. I said, but hold off. Um, do things, stay out of trouble, basically. Um, do things as you would do them with caution. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the future, there's going to be an opportunity for you to do that. But you're going to have to take a different path than everyone else. Yeah. And so, it, you know, I have to have those hard conversations a lot with our community. Say, just because this isn't it right now. Doesn't mean you have to stop. Doesn't mean you have to slow down. Um, and then one thing that we talked about, right? Um, que no te importe. Don't, it doesn't matter what the other people think right now. Yeah. Um, um, do it for you. Do it for your family. Um, do it for your community and, and, and whatever drives you. Yeah, because like I was telling you earlier, when people started... Because I was basically raised here. I got here mm -hmm. when I was five or six. Um, and I've been here ever since. I never thought to well because my parents did unfortunately did install that fear but growing up i was like yeah i speak english nobody's ever gonna be able to tell right but until i did started working i was telling you at the department of human services and i um was around a lot of different cultures and i wasn't used to that so whenever i had to renew my doc because i was there for a while Whenever I had to renew it, I asked my supervisor. She was like, hey, can I print this off? You know, can I make copies? Like, yeah. yeah, do whatever you want. And I said this on another episode. Uh, she, uh, A coworker was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm filling out this thing for the, you know, my DACA thing. She was like, oh, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's just, you know, my basically to renew my permit to keep working to here. To keep working, yeah. And you should have seen her face. Her face was like, wait, what? Jaw drop. You're not a citizen? Like, No. She didn't talk to me for a couple months. Wow. Or a couple weeks. I remember, but. Yeah. She never saw me the same again. Mm. And so, in a way, I was like, it made me mad. Because I was like, well, I mean, I'm doing everything I can to exactly. be here. And to, to have the right to do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why people sometimes, and you can, you know, agree or disagree. But sometimes people don't hold you to a certain standard even if you're doing the best thing you can of course they just don't want you here yeah and that's the end and people are like no we do want you here but you want you need to do everything the right way you need to do this this way that way but then when we do they still you know yeah there's always going to be a a but you know for yeah for a lot of people um who don't understand what we go through who don't understand or don't have someone who lived in it And even even then, um, you know, you hear about the family who had uh, you think of, you hear about the people who voted for Trump who have family members that are undocumented. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and so, like, how do you how do you make sense of that? Mm -hmm. Like, how how do you really make sense of that? And so that's uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate because it's not it's just something you can't comprehend, really. DACA comes about 2012, mm -hmm. right? Did you apply 2012 when I it did. came out? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that time, I was already working with an attorney. Oh, the, really? The attorney that I'm working with now. And so I was an independent contractor, translator, interpreter. 
right? And so I would come in and do whatever he needed me, Spanish to English, English mm-hmm. to Spanish, whatever. Um, and I remember one of the very first cases I worked on, um, a family uh, had lost their daughter in a wreck from in Stillwater. And so funny to think, uh, you know, I was supposed to be going to school in Stillwater. And then the first case that I work on translating, interpreting, mm-hmm. I'm in Stillwater. Yeah. And uh, I, and, and it was an unfortunate series of events, um, but I was translating for the family who had lost their daughter and the DA and the attorneys. And uh, uh, that's that was a complete eye-opener to me um, because I'm doing this without DACA. I'm amongst lawyers, amongst prosecutors, amongst a, a family who has um, suffered mm-hmm. right, and is suffering the loss of their child. And, and, and just that impactful moment to think, all right, this is what I can do as a lawyer in a sense, right? And then DACA comes around and then I really get this thought of, yeah, you know, maybe I can teach, maybe I can do something with my, with my math degree because that was my major. Mm-hmm. And so 2012, DACA, yeah, I'm driving. Now I'm th- really thinking about a future. I never thought I'd be a lawyer. Never, ever, ever, ever. So that wasn't your goal? It wasn't my goal. Okay. It wasn't my goal, right? Um, but I'm working with an attorney and he, I, minimum hours. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'll do something with math. So I tutored while I was at Mid-America. I tutored a bunch of, a lot of students there. I did some private tutoring outside of the school tutoring that I was doing. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed math. I really enjoyed teaching it. And I took a, a math for teachers. So teaching me how to teach math. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I was like, yeah, yeah maybe I can't do this. <laughs> uh-huh. um, that was when I really re- uh, realized, like, maybe I can't. T- I don't want to teach. So I started thinking about, well, maybe I can be an accountant. Maybe I can be like an actuary doing uh, calculating risk. Yeah. Uh, have you seen Along Came Polly? No, ah, such a good movie, and so I have it saved on you my Netflix, saved? You? but I okay. haven't seen it. Along came probably, I think is a pretty pretty good movie, and so he he does analysis on risk and life insurance, and mm, so okay, I thought okay. to myself, maybe I can do something in, in that in that realm or statistics or something like that. Yeah, and I never um, really pursued any of that um, because during my after DACA, I started working at ISA. Well, I was already working at ISA, the indoor soccer arena. Uh-huh. I was working there as a ref um, and a scorekeeper. But then with DACA, now I could move into the office and make two extra dollars and not have to work as hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just one work permit gave me two extra dollars and didn't have to work as hard. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that DACA yeah, gave Yeah, I did me, a lot. Know? Little things like that that go that people take for granted. Right? Yeah, um, for and, sure. And so I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in at Mid- I'm in at Mid-America playing soccer uh it's my sophomore junior year i work at indoor soccer arena uh and and i'm doing everything i can to work with the law office and you know i get done with law school i graduate with my or sorry with uh undergrad i graduate my math degree and i'm thinking to myself well what's next right i didn't have a plan i didn't i didn't apply for devon i didn't apply to tutor anywhere i didn't want to be a teacher anywhere Mm -hmm. And so I'm working with the lawyer full time in the day. I'm working at the indoor soccer arena in the evenings because that was from five to five to midnight, basically. So I'm doing both of these things in my off year, 2014 to 2015. And the the attorney that I was working with said, hey, man, you should really consider law school. He said math majors are number one, most likely to succeed in law school. Hmm. I said, there's no way. Really? <laughs> I said, there's no way. And I Googled it. Imagínate number one top of the list and as i mentioned to you earlier right it was the whole idea of taking formulas Mm -hmm. to find an answer 
Yeah. And so we take cases and apply them to our facts to find an answer. Right. Right. And our variables and math formulas and our just <clears throat> logical way of piecing things together. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helped me in law school. And so 2014 area, 2015, uh, he's like, you know, take the LSAT for anyone who wants to go to law school. First, you have to take the LSAT. Um, it's like your ACT, but for law school, or your MCAT, for, like for um, medical school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I take the LSAT and uh, I remember he's like, hey, man, sign up, sign up, sign up. And it's like the deadline. I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, I signed up yesterday. And, and the deadline, I'm like, ah, oh, dang, I got to sign up now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I take the LSAT and uh, I ran, when I was, I showed up to take the exam, I actually ran into um, a couple of people I knew and they were in there taking it like for their second or third time because they want to get a higher score for more scholarship. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I go in, I studied for about a month. Um, it was kind of on and off. And it was one of those things where I had to sit down and study myself. You know, it wasn't, it was, I couldn't take, I couldn't afford a course. Um, the attorney I work with really was like, this is something you have to do for yourself if you really want it. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, we'd talk about the questions, but for the most part, I would answer them myself and practice and, and all of that. So for about a month I studied and, uh, I ended up getting a, a 146, which isn't great. Um, it's not the highest score, but it's not also the lowest score. And so I applied for law school, um, my thought was uh, I'll apply for Oklahoma City University because it's close. Mm-hmm. Um, and OU was too far for me. And I had a bad experience at OU that just maybe never want to attend a class at that school. Mm, okay. Um, I applied for OCU Law and um, they offered me a scholarship because I applied for a part-time also. Oh, okay. So I did a part-time day, a part-time day course, <laughs> which some people don't know you can go to school or law school for part-time now. I didn't know that. Yeah. OCU is, a, I think it's OCU only right now that has a part-time day and a part-time night. So I get a scholarship offer. Um, I'm thinking to myself, well, how am I going to pay the rest? And I, I know there's some private scholarships out there I can apply for. And i um, fortunate to have, um, uh, you know, support from my family also that were able to help me. I'm thinking to myself, do I go to law school? Do I put it on hold? Do I go to law school? Put it on hold? Because if I didn't go to law school, I was going to go to OSUOKC to get my translating certificate. Okay. I was like, well, if, if I can't go to law school, I'll go, you know, learn how to translate and do that. They make some good money, $60 an hour sometimes. People are charging $40, $50. Really? Let uh, me consider that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Core interpreters making 30 bucks an hour. Think. I mean, it's... It's the power of your language. You yeah, know? right. And that's something I preach to the students I speak to. You know, if you know two languages, learn them both, practice them both, and, and really make them a piece of you. Yeah, um, for sure. And so uh, I get into law school, and I begin I begin law school August 2015 as a part-time student. And, uh, you know, part of my experience with law school, as I mentioned, was uh, orientation. We go walk into orientation and like out of 160 students, about 15 of us are what you would call diverse or um, different race, right? You said 15? About 15 of us of 160. Yeah. That's not even a court. No, no, not even. And okay, so that's August 2015. And then, you know, as I was in the school, they they did increase their diversity. They did a really good job of um, increasing that and and bringing in students from um, different cultures as well. Okay, good. But that's my experience from the get go. So I'm walking in. I don't even own a suit at this point. So I like pulled up to um, Forever 21 and just bought like a suit jacket and threw Mm -hmm. on some slacks and a. 
it, it was it was the darnest thing for me it was just somewhere that i'd never been in something i never ex- thought of experiencing yeah yeah um and then even being around a lawyer you know it just didn't give me i didn't grasp the whole idea of it um and so now august 2015 comes in and <laughs> i remember the first day they had like a or the first week they had a uh they have the organization fair and i'm looking for the hispanic law student association or the latino latina something and i don't see it anywhere and really? there's like there's like 20 something organizations and i'm like where's the hispanic law students or is uh i don't see anyone <laughs> and so i'm like uh all right uh so i start asking to you know see some paisas and i'm like okay maybe i can talk to these people right yeah, here and, yeah, ask them. Yeah. and they're like oh yeah it's run by this other person and i'm like and then also um, be engaged with our community if we're going to be Oklahoma City Law School. Yeah. Right. Be engaged with Oklahoma City, not just somebody that's coming from either Texas, because we had a lot of people from Texas, um, or just someone that's coming from Edmond mm-hmm. or Stillwater or somewhere that's not Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so I did my part to take over the, the organization, um, try to help build it. And it's, it passed on to, to Victoria Carrasco, who's done a great job, has just really expanded on it and, and helped it grow as well. And Karina Loya. And so I'm grateful for them and coming in and really taking taking that on. Um, but that was me in August 2015, you know, like thinking to myself, well, where's my where's my people? Who do I hang out with? Yeah. Um, who do I study with? Who do I interact with? And it was just the the hardest, darnest thing. Um, but I was fortunate that um whenever I went in for my tour, the guy who gave me my tour was a soccer player. Oh. And so we were able to make that connection, and he was a, th- a third-year law student. Okay. And so here I am, a first-year law student, connecting with the third-year law student. So I'm getting all the tips and tricks from this third-year law student. Right, yeah. He's like, yo, here's everything that you need to succeed in law school. I'm like, oh, man. Sigh of relief, I right? Kick, oh, yeah, I kick my feet up. I'm like, all right, let's go, law school. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and uh, I was very fortunate that that happened, but because of soccer. Had I been anyone else and, um, you know, not played soccer, I don't know that we would have had that same connection that he would have been like, oh, yeah, man, hey, come hang out with our friends. Come see what we're doing. Come hang out with our group. See how we study. Yeah. And who would have thought soccer would have brought th- those two together? Yes. You know? yes, yes, yes. And that's a beautiful thing for me that soccer's always been a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so to to reconnect there, it was just, it was like, all right, I can go to law school and play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> that's know? the best of both worlds the best of both worlds yeah um so i'm in this uh law school you know august 15 first first semester the hardest thing i've ever done in my life um think about this i'm a math major going into reading like a hundred percent of my time uh. yeah and so i didn't read during my undergrad much because most of it was formulas yeah we did some um, English literature and some statistics and, you know, how to write a few yeah, things. But it wasn't but like your... Not intense. Yeah. The most intense class I had, I think, um, was philosophy and ethics or intro to philosophy and ethics. And the professor or teacher was um, a disbarred lawyer. So he'd been a lawyer in his time and then he got his license taken away. <clears throat> and so he That's taught he me. taught his... Uh, yeah. <laughs> he taught his <laughs> philosophy and ethics class like a law... Like a, a law school class. I gotcha. Right. So he's like, you know, you got to come into the classroom and know what we're talking about. You have to read before you come in, not come in to learn. Mm. You have to read before. And so that that kind of tripped me up a little bit. But it reminded me once I got to law school why that class was important. And so I get to law school and 
pues yo también con el nopal en la frente, I'm like, I don't understand this language. I, I was like, I don't get it, you know? Yeah. I don't know what uh, jurisdiction means. I don't know what statute means. I don't know what, uh, just a lot of different things. I'm like, what does all this mean? Tort? What's a tort? Que chingas una torta, you know? I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I know it now. Um, assault, battery. I know uh, torta. Torta, yeah, everybody knows torta. <laughs> negligence. So, like, in a car wreck, um, someone's uh, negligent. Someone did something wrong on accident, basically. Oh, okay, like Negligence, okay. right? Or if I'm speeding, I'm being negligent because I know that speeding could cause the wreck. And so oh, things you. like that, assault, if I assault you, that, those are torts. Um, but I didn't understand this language. So I'm reading my textbooks. I'm like, well, how do I make sense of this? So, of course, the dictionary. We have this thing called Black's Law Dictionary. It's thick. And so, Ugh. yeah. So I spent half of my time in the dictionary half of my time in my textbooks, really trying to make, comprehend everything. Oh, man. He's... You know, I'm lucky that I did part-time yeah. because if I was full-time and then trying to work, um, there's no way I would have succeeded, I don't think. Um, a lot of my peers were in school full-time but weren't working. And that's actually a recommendation for people who go to school um, full-time their first year yeah. is don't work. Um, if you do work 10 <laughs> minimum hours, 10 or less hours a week because mm. that's how uh, straining it is, you know, from studying – You're really studying 40 to 60 hours a week. Um, that's your reading, preparing for class, all of that. Um, it can take longer, you know, también if, if you have, um, like dyslexia, um, things like people who didn't have dyslexia start realizing they have dyslexia in law school because of how much reading we do. Wow. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's part of the law school journey. Um, so I started off part time and, you know, we get one test. One test gives us our grade. So from day one to the last day of class, we can get tested on anything in between there. And we get one test for three hours. And that's our grade. How big was this test? Um, well, it just depends on the professor. But some of them would be like three long essays. Some of them would be like 10 short and two long. Oh, okay. Um, and then some would have multiple choice and then some short and long answers. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I only had one test that was all multiple choice during law school. But that was the... that. I mean, that was frightening because, one, think about how much you learn in a semester, right? And then, two, trying to make sense of all the whole book. I cannot imagine myself. And then having three tests, or if you're full-time, five tests like that in the two weeks. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, we started, really, we're supposed to start studying for finals during spring break. Yeah. So, you know, spring break into, into May, we should have everything lined out. And just the studying, like the, the pressure of studying and really trying to understand and working, um, it made me a better student because I was able to take what I was learning in school and go back to the office and apply a little bit of it or understand actually what was happening in the office because I knew now was reading the language. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I was very fortunate to be able to have that experience. Not a lot of people do either, you know. A lot of people just go to school first, their first year full time, don't work, don't get any legal experience. Yeah. But I was I mean, going to the courthouse. I was, you know, doing regular lawyer things at my first year of law school. So you kind of shadowed. Oh, yeah. I shadowed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I had been working with an attorney since 2012. So at least three, four years mm. um, of somewhat legal experience. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then finally law school and really learning and understanding the language. So. 
fortunate enough, um, you know, August, I, I, I get my grades back. It was my first, I got a C and I freaked out. And so everybody's like, C's are normal. <laughs> you know, C's are normal. They think I got like a C plus and a B minus and a B plus or something. And then my second semester, I'm like, man, I really got to learn how to take these tests. And uh, I remember property law. It was one of my favorites. Um, and and we'll talk about, I, I want to talk about a little bit about the color of law and how property Okay. And, and stuff and just like yeah, yeah, yeah. racism and the systemic racism and all that. I'll touch on that a little bit more. Um, but it was one of my favorite classes and I broke it down so much that I knew it like from front to back. And I, that was my first day in law school, my second semester. And I'm thinking to myself, I know how to make an A. I know how to study. Law school got so much easier after that. Mm. So much easier, right? It's just the system. You learn the system, you apply the system. And you're good. You molded yourself. <laughs> you, I molded myself 100%. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was able to transfer what I learned in my math courses to my law classes and break down. Um, really, we talk about outlining a book. Right? Mm -hmm. You take your book from 30 pages to two pages kind of thing. Um, and so that was that was beautiful for me, um, really learning how to how to challenge myself. Um, we had to memorize all those things, right, for our finals. Uh, and so just you talking about it terrifies <laughs> me yeah yeah it's it's scary um uh, did you feel pressure oh yeah so i think what why i felt a lot of pressure was because the law office that i was working at was counting on me to finish and go back to work right oh, okay second um my family's investment in me has been for 26 years by the time I get to law school, you know, so I've got 26 years of investment in me that I can't just right. let go to waste. You can't take lightly. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm already here. So I have to make the best of it and be the best that I can be Yeah, because it's only three years, three and a half. I did three and a half, mm -hmm. but it's only really three years of your life where you're really diving into learning the law. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I made the, the best of it really. And I, You know, I was fortunate to serve um, on the ADR, which is Alternative Dispute Resolution, okay. which goes back to the peer mediation, because now ADR programs in our uh, law school help teach the peer mediators in high, in elementary and high schools. What? Yeah. So I was fortunate to, you know. That's cool. A full circle, right? Yeah. Full circle from elementary when I was a peer mediator to ADR, at, at Alternative Dispute Resolution in law school. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, so that was awesome, uh, you know, being part of the Hispanic Law Student Association and then also the Immigration Legal Society. Mm. With the Immigration Legal Society, I was able to travel to, uh, we went to New Orleans, we went to Miami, and we went to Las Vegas for the AILA um, conference, which is the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Oh, okay. And what they do is they have this annual conference and it's three, four days, four days of hardcore immigration law from... 8 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. in the in the afternoon evening and you just i mean crash courses you know from beginners to experts and so that really gave me a huge opportunity to to do that and yeah. and see what the immigration law was meet other attorneys from across the, the u.s from different countries um because it was one, it's the one of the biggest organizations yeah um so that was beautiful And and with the Hispanic Law Student Association, uh, my good friend Jose Cruz, who just won the House District, um, House Dis House District 89 House of Representatives. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For the yeah. for the Democratic side, um, him and I were in law school together, and we went to the Hispanic National Bar Association conference. And the Hispanic National Bar Association has a a branch 
for what they call their general counsel. Okay. And so general counsel is like people, uh, lawyers who work for like Spotify, Walmart, uh, big corporations like oh, Coca-Cola, gotcha, gotcha. right? Yeah. And we met we met the general counsel for Spotify, Horacio, Horacio Gutierrez, I believe is his name. And, you know, we got to hang out and talk to him and like hearing him, you know, talk and the points he gave us is like, you don't have to stay in Oklahoma City and you don't have to, you know, limit yourself to this practice mm-hmm. because he he started his he started working with Microsoft and then moved over to Spotify and has just you know been able to travel around the world. But as general counsel, you manage everything from employment law to immigration law to civil rights yeah. to contracts, um, a little bit of everything because you're making sure that everything is right in the company. Okay. Right. And so I thought to myself, man, I don't have to be, you know, just a small town attorney or a small city attorney. Um, it made me think bigger and kind of like we talked about with DACA or not having DACA. We didn't really dream. No. Right. And even then when I was in law school, I was thinking to myself, ah, well, I'll just get out and I'll, I'll work with, with my partner now, you know, and we'll just make, make ends meet. But then going there, I was like, nah, we can't do, we can't just be complacent. Um, we can do a lot more with, with our knowledge, with our community, um, and, and really with, with everything that we, that we take in o- overall. And so his insight, um, and then just being around those people at the, at the conference, at the immigration conference, the Hispanic National Bar Association conference really opened up my eyes. And, um, it really made me work a little bit harder on my, on the business side of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And not just thinking I'm going to be a, a good lawyer. And so with my practice, we've been able to do a lot of different things. Um, and, and even in law school, people ask in law school, what do you specialize in? Well, law school is general. When you go to law school, you learn everything. Right. I mean, everything. You get to pick some of your classes, right? You can, you can decide not to take income tax law and you can take bankruptcy law or whatever it may be. But you do have some choices, but you get, you get a full flex of everything. Okay. Um, so I served on, you know, some school organizations, attended some of those conferences. And so I'm just gaining this knowledge. Like, Tony, it's just being poured into my brain. <laughs> you know, it's just like, here, 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 take it all. Which sounds like a lot. It's so much. Yeah. And, and so think about how much time, I, I didn't have a lot of time to reflect. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of time to sit back, relax, reflect, because it was either studying, working, or, or we're uh, blowing off steam. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no real time for reflection until, until, um, the class that I started with in August 2015 graduated, mm-hmm. uh, May 2018. But I had an extra semester because I had gone part time and okay. then I went into full time. Okay. So you didn't stay part time the whole time? No. If I would have, if I would have stayed part time full time, I would have been there five years. Cause I was like, oh, part time three years. That's not so bad. Yeah. No, part time. So I did two, two semesters part time and then I did the rest. So, sorry. I did four semesters part time, but I did summer school in between. Oh, okay. okay and okay. so I didn't take any summers <laughs> off. And then I went full time for three semesters. Gotcha. And, um, so I had, I, I really had, um, what is it august 2018 to december 2018 to start preparing myself mentally for the bar exam Mm. okay and the bar exam was um the bar exam was it was february 2019 
And for those of you who don't know the bar exam, the bar exam is 200 multiple choice questions and 16 essays in Oklahoma. That was the old exam. They just switched their, their format. But think about that. 200 multiple choice questions. You do 100 in the morning and then 100 in the afternoon. Your 16 essays, um, you get 30 minutes per essay. And you get tested on anywhere between 8 to 12 subjects or more. And so from December 2018, from the time that I got done with school, about August 21st, my wife, um, thankful for her, she had bought us a, a trip to Hawaii. So we went to Hawaii for a, a week and I studied while I was out in Hawaii. I started studying immediately, doing multiple choice questions. Yeah, yeah. I was like, there's no way I can't not do nothing, you know. So I was doing like 10, 15 questions a day while in Hawaii, on the plane, on the way, on the way there, on the way back. Yeah. And I get back, I take a day off and then Monday start studying for the bar exam. Um, we pay for a course and it gives you a study plan. Mm-hmm. Some people follow it. Uh, I say majority of people follow it. Uh, some people don't, but you get the study material and all of that. The first two weeks I was studying like six hours a week, six hours a day. And I was still working. Um, I was working like four or five hours a day and then studying six to seven hours a day. Yeah. Um, those are the first two weeks. And then the, after the first two weeks I stopped working. So for eight weeks I just studied. It was, I took it from eight to 10 hours, the, like the second to the, or I guess it would be like the third to like the fifth week. It was like eight to 10 hours. And then from the fifth week or the sixth week to about like the eighth week, it was like 10 to 14 or 12 to 14 hours oh my god yeah and then like those last two weeks those last <laughs> kind of day those last two weeks it, was, it really like tuned up to like 15 hours a day yeah I yeah mean, it's just grind 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 and it's monday through sunday so every day there's you know you get some you could take some sunday i took a few sundays off um but even then my sundays off were like half days yeah you know, and and then you can't stop thinking about it when when you're off i wouldn't be able to no to way. the pressure i was like oh my god because you have so much writing on this you know so, so much. Oh, i don't know how you don't have anxiety yeah um that that's a really good question i don't know that either <laughs> um and so i'm preparing for this test and i'm thinking to myself every day i'm gonna pass the bar exam i'm gonna pass the bar exam there's no way I can, i'm gonna fail the bar you know i'm gonna pass the bar exam i'm gonna pass the bar exam and so those last, you know, that last week, it's just like surreal because you're thinking to yourself, how much do I really know? How much do I not know? And so you have to start testing yourself. So you yeah. start taking, you know, some more practice tests, some more, some more practice essays um, and just getting your mind ready to sit there for, for two days, for eight hours a day to, to test. And, you know, that last, I'm, I'm thinking, I remember that last day before the exam, they say, take it off don't do anything. And, uh, I woke up the, that day before the exam and I tried to review some things and my mind just wouldn't focus. It just couldn't at, at that point, it just couldn't do anymore. And so it's like, we, we talk about that when we study for finals too, it's like, if you're studying an hour before your exam, that's bad. You should already know it. You shouldn't have to look at your notes anymore. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, that day of the day of the exam, um, I get seated next to the girl who I had studied with the whole time. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a beautiful thing. So we were set up in this room with like 120 people. I knew some of the people in there, but the girl who I had studied with, 
the whole time we were on the same page you know we were like understanding everything that was happening mm-hmm. we, we could help each other ask each other challenging questions um, make sure that we were staying uh account we kept each other accountable yeah and so we walk into the test room and they're like i'm like hey carson we're sitting next to each other she's like what and everybody else is spread out sitting to random people you know and so it's just comfortable setting for me because her and I had studied together for 10 weeks. Yeah. And then we get into a bar or, or exam time and we're sitting next to each other. So, what, like, are they assigned seating? Yeah, assigned seating. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, yeah, definitely assigned seating. Um, you know, very strict. Um, clear bags. You bring some pencils. Um, no phones. Um, you know, it's 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 really strict. Right, right. Um, and so, for, so lucky that I got to sit next to her. And... Um, you know the school was awesome about providing us lunch they bought us lunch um they set it up for us it snowed one of the days so we thought we were going to have to show up the next day i had so much experience up to the bar exam that I, i felt there was no way i could fail and i say experience because i had my legal license intern when i was um in my second year of law school third year into entering my third year of law school uh-huh. um and so i i was doing even more attorney things than i was before i started law school And my my intern's license let me go to court by myself. Let me do depositions and things um, okay. that we do by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had gained other experience, practical experience, um, that I could also apply in the bar exam. Yeah. And and a lot of those questions sometimes do consider or do take some practicality and say, all right, well, what would what would you do in the courtroom, kind of thing. And then so you can you can build your answer off of that. Like make a scenario. Yeah. 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 I got done with the exam after day two, and I thought to myself, you know, that really went well. I didn't feel too pressured, um, but it took us, so we took the exam February, uh, it was like 21st, 22nd, and our, no, it was the 28th, sorry, 27th, 28th, and our results came out like April 4th or 5th. Oh, it takes that long? (laughs) Yeah. So as soon as the bar wow. exam is done, now I really don't know why you don't you have, anxiety. have anxiety. Yeah. So as soon as that bar exam is done, you know you go oh home, my God, and you just black out. You just pass out. You rest for two or three days. Um, you you get yourself in order. I you know uh, my eating habits were the worst. My sleeping was off. Like yeah. everything was just. I can imagine. Yeah. It was just bar exam focused. Right. Yeah. Um, and so. I got done. I felt well. I felt like it had gone really well. And funny story, the day that we found out um, our bar exam results, mm-hmm. Santa Fe South was having a futsal court opening. They built a new little soccer field outside of the high school at Plaza Mayor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they were having this just grand opening. And uh, we were invited as the football factory to go help them and just, you know, promote the grand opening. Oh, and, cool. And say, hey, the grand opening is happening. And this is around lunchtime. And my partner, Lambert, was like, man, I don't know if I would want to be in public whenever bar results come out. Because you just never know. What if you, like, you know, something goes bad and you didn't pass? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, dang. Like, you're right. But I'm going. Because, you know, I can't do anything about it if I pass or fail. Um, and I show up to the, to the, to the school. And uh, I get a call. And it's one of uh, one of our good friends, and he goes, "Javier, congratulations." I was like, "What?" I like, threw my hands up in the air. I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, man, congratulations, you passed." No way! I was the first one to find out. 
no one knew that they had passed or that they had like completed you know the that they had passed their bar exam yeah, i was the yeah. first one to know because they had they were just they had just released the the um the list mm-hmm. because they released the list online and um one of the guys who's with the oklahoma bar association called me said congratulations you passed man it was wow. it was the, the darnest feeling ever tony like it it just took my body over. Um, it was just a great sense of emotion. You know, I called my mom. Um, I was I was celebrating with my community at a soccer field. Yeah. Like, how beautiful. To me, that was just beautiful. Jose Cruz was there. My my One of my best friends, Ricardo Ulloa, was there. We went to Dove together. And he was the first one to find out with me. And so, like, the whole experience from the beginning of law school, having my family support me, have all my friends, my, you know, everyone say, yo, man, you're in law school. We haven't seen you in so long. You know, we're happy you're doing it. We, you know, we look up to you. We're, we're looking forward to you being finished. All of that just all just kind of came back to like, you know, it just warped back into one big thing. And it was like, you know, this license, it's ours. It's not mine. It's ours. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's, uh, so that's, that's been my journey, man. Um, part of it is, is like, I, I understand uh, that that our parents have done tr- a tremendous job and and the effort that they have put into for our for ourselves for yeah. our family and then for our extended family um, and so now I think this is where we take it from just our family and our extended family to our community and and I really hope that that you know this inspires someone to either join the law practice or the legal field, whether it be through Congress, through it, whether it be like a, a low, a local mm-hmm. um, city council, yeah. a local legis or state legislature. Um, if you want to be an attorney, be, an, be a judge, whatever it may be, but that, it, you know, gives you a little bit of push to go, go do that thing or whatever it is that you want to do to yeah. go do it. But really we need more representation for our people. And we really do. Yeah. So going back to that moment. Sorry, I'm mm-hmm. stuck on that moment. No, let's talk about it. <laughs> what? Okay. What was that in your household? Yeah. How did that meaning with your parents? Mm-hmm. How was that? Well, because and the way I'm asking is because all of this time, your whole life, we were. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. We're limited. Yeah. And at that moment, at the end of the race, when you find out you won first place, how was that? Man, um, it's one of those, well, you think about your milestones, right? Um, we have a lot of milestones in our life, whether it's turning another, you know, just another year old or buying a house. Yeah. Um, those little milestones, uh, like I, you know, kind of like I mentioned, they all just warp back into one. And so there was a there was somewhat of a disconnect between my family and i when law school got done because i was like hey family this is going to be this is going to be it right here like i'm doing law school so i'm going to focus into law school yeah and and i'm really grateful for them because they supported me while i was studying for the bar exam and all throughout law school and so it's unfortunate that i still think there's we don't we understand what a lawyer is but I really wish that I, I could have put them through the experience with me mm-hmm. rather than just going through the experience myself and then them supporting me. Oh, that okay. makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. put them through the experience with me instead of just saying, oh, you're you're pushing me, right? No, like let's 
push through it together. Yeah. And and I I kind of you know I regret not not being able to do that. And and you know so hopefully that's something that anyone else that decides to take this journey can can do. Um, not not be supported, but go through through it together because yeah. um, no one no one will understand law school until you've been through it. Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's with with other um uh you know like law or med, or medical school or or dentistry or something like that mm-hmm. right but really the way that that the legal field and the things that you learn in law school it's it's really its own journey that it's hard to understand if you're not in it right but overall the satisfaction of my family and then um, to think oh you know we have a lawyer in our family. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, that just brings a smile. Yeah, to, we do. To, yeah, you know, it just brings a smile to like your, uh, to your heart, really. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's deep. Um, when, because you think about it, like our families didn't come to, to the U.S. thinking we would be, they, they came to the U.S. with a dream that we would be able to do this. Yeah. Not with, um, the expectation, right? It's mm. more of a dream. It's not the expectation. Um, now we're just happy to be here if we get exactly. to that then great but yeah 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 and so it, it really just brought it all together for us and said you know um this is this is something greater than all of us um it's going to benefit all of us in different ways and so what i what i've tried to do with now with with my legal career right is is help my community and I love it because my mom and my my sister, and my brother, they'll they'll share the things that we post on our Facebook, Instagram, because they understand that. Like I mentioned earlier, when we were talking off off the the recording, mm-hmm. you know, I my number one goal is to help whoever it may be, and I know that in the process of helping, I'll make money, but then that money is money that I can put back into our community. Yeah, and so. You know that full circle where number one goal is to help and then yes i need to live but then also i'm gonna help again right and so with our family i think another part of it is that i got married um pretty pretty quick after i i got my license and so um i didn't spend a lot of time in my home after i got my license so we mm-hmm. haven't really been c- celebrated yeah in a sense like that um and so i moved out in june and i got my my license in april you know so two months of living with my parents and we can we were able to celebrate it and talk about it yeah um but i think part of it too is that they expected me to pass you know they they were looking for me to to complete this they knew they knew that i had done the work that there was no way that i couldn't or that I could fail basically yeah 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 and so I didn't let that stress me out you know I didn't let that stress me out I I took that more as a motivator and I I really appreciate you for you know just letting me share that that story again um I've had the opportunity to share it but I think this is the first time I'm fully sharing it on a podcast Mm. so uh, I feel so honored yeah 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 so thank you um you know and and now we're we're kind of in a weird state with DACA and and even though I'm going through my green card process right now, mm-hmm. this DACA decision was like still, I mean, it felt like I'm not even getting a green card. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm still just a DACA recipient. And that's the literal truth. I'm still just a DACA recipient, you know? Um, 
And and I was telling my wife about this the other day. I was like, how do I go from being a DACA recipient to a green card holder? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel guilty. Like, I shouldn't go get my green card right now. That's not, it's not for me right now. It's kind of the way I feel. Um, really? Yeah, man, I, I feel that way. And, and I don't know if it's, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a sense of pride of like what I've been able to accomplish yeah. as an undocumented person, uh, to say, ah, well, now, now I'm not undocumented, but I'm letting this little piece of paper define me, you know? And so I'm I'm trying to get past that to say yeah. whether I have a green card or not, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm still me. Yeah. Um. And so I'm having a, a a struggle with that right now. Well, I mean, unfortunately, like we said earlier, it marks mm-hmm. this this marks whether it be in a good way or in a bad way. And with the DACA program, I, I feel safe, but I feel unsafe at the same time. Yeah. Because it has an expiration date. Mm-hmm. It has a date that out of nowhere, my whole life could change. Again. Okay. So um you'll get there. Yeah. I think you'll get there. Yeah. Just give it a bit of a time. Because I you went we'll, through so we'll many. Get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Claro. Yeah. So if anybody listening, um, what would you want to say to someone that's a DACA recipient that has limited themselves to a shelter box? Mm-hmm. And they can no longer dream. What would you say? I think it's always important to reflect on how, not only how you got DACA, because there were so many people fighting for DACA. Mm-hmm. There's so many people in in, Cong- in in the halls of Congress, um, in, in our legislators' faces, you know, taking over their offices, people getting arrested, the fight for DACA. Right. Think about the people who fought for DACA. Um, reflect on that a little bit. And then think about what life was without DACA. But after you think about those things, right, as I just mentioned, we can't let this piece of paper define us. Mm-hmm. We can't let the U.S. government be the all be all in our life. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to, as I mentioned earlier, get with like minded people. Get with like situated people, yeah, so that we can think through these problems and help each other succeed and move forward, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, with community, we can do so much more than just by ourselves, and I've learned that the hard way, because I mean, throughout throughout my undergrad, throughout my OCU law school career, I was although I was involved in a lot of things. I still kept to myself a lot, mm-hmm. right? And so I think had I been able to, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the right word, um, I guess manage um, my situation and then share it with others and build a community around my story at an earlier stage. Mm-hmm. I'm building it now, I believe, you know, that we're building a bigger community around our stories. Yeah. Um, but had we started earlier, we i think would be a bit more advanced in our own paths and not only our own paths but then in our community growing yeah. right so we see it more and more and i and i've been able to experience it a bit more with um with like Jose Cruz and the community that he's developed through his campaign and then just his friends and community members like Miriam Ortega Miriam Campos um who do a lot with like La 29 um the 20, 
the Calle del Cinco, um, the historic district, yeah. Capitol Hill. Um, you know, built seeing the way that those communities have grown um, and how much support there is there. There's no reason that we can't, or if someone is feeling somewhat isolated, to start a community among amongst themselves with like-minded, like-situated people, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's going to be really important. But talk to your family, you know, share your stories, reflect, and and reach out. You know, I think I think uh, we have a lot. We we struggle. I struggle. And for sure. And and this is something that I've been trying to change myself in asking for help, like ask for it when I need it or even when I don't think I need it, just ask for it or, um, you know, just put it out there. Yeah. A lot of the times I grew up with the fear of rejection. And so many of us do, I think. Yeah. Right. Because it is. Yeah. Yeah. And at so, least a good 90 percent. I would agree. I would agree. And so that fear of rejection sometimes holds me back from asking for help or for um, trying to involve myself in a different community, right? Yeah. And and so that, that's that's one of those things that really, if you're listening today, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there a little bit more. Um, it starts, you know, you can start with something very small. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give an example of someone I know. Uh, you know, they were afraid to to put their personal beliefs out and just like on social media or amongst their family members. But little by little, you know, step one was share something on social media. And then you sh- you have the courage to share it. So now you might have the courage to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And if you have the courage to talk about it. Then you might have the courage to call someone out of it, on it yeah. or something like that. Right. And it's just the trickle down effect that one little thing can lead to such, such bigger things. For sure. Um, so don't be afraid. Um, you know, we're, we're here to to help you with through the unknown yeah and i think that's that's another big piece that there's so much that we still just don't know and and you know be, don't be afraid to ask questions uh and we say there's no such thing as dumb questions i mean really if you don't know you gotta ask all right you know a close mouth never gets fed exactly yeah. we always say you can't get what you don't ask for right and and it's it's real in the law and it's real in everything else you know you yeah. can't ask what you don't get for what you can't get what you don't ask for and listeners, we, I can say we, yeah. love to listen to your stories. Oh, yeah. So you can send us your stories to fulloroundpodcast at yahoo.com. And I would really love to hear your stories. I would really love to see how this talk inspired mm-hmm. somebody. Or, or if you have questions of or concerns of how we can help you understand your story. Because this is a cloudy system i think to where when you're going through this again in the middle of the ice storm it can get really confusing and it can get really lonely and it can get really overwhelming absolutely so you know write us your stories let us know we're listening yeah you know and 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 if we can't help you with something if i can't help you with something we'll get you to someone who can absolutely you know you say that and i'm i'm really appreciative to and grateful to dream action oklahoma and to United We Dream. Mm-hmm. So Dream Action Oklahoma is, a, you know, a youth-led organization uh, in the state of Oklahoma mm-hmm. that is a, an affiliate with United We Dream, which is the national, the largest youth-led immigrant group, um, activist group. And so Dream Action Oklahoma gave me the opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. when DACA was rescinded. Oh, okay. You remember that in September 2017? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in Washington, D.C. 
when that happened. So I was outside the U.S. Capitol with the United We Dream flag with uh, Senator Warren and Senator Gutierrez. And they came out and spoke in front of the U.S. Capitol. And for them to give me the opportunity to be there. And this is after law school, you know, or during law school, during DACA. September 2017 and we think DACA is going away for the rest of our life yeah and I was I was in DC you know in the halls of Congress and that was the the first time that I really felt uh comfortable empowered to tell my story because I was around like-minded like situated people yeah and so I was I felt comfortable in sharing and then when I got back to this to OKC I, I was able to share it more, mm-hmm. right? Um, but because of organizations like that and them reaching out and me reaching out to them and just being interconnected, yeah, I had that opportunity. Um, <clears throat> I had that experience and I've been able to share that experience multiple times now to where like you understand, you know, the fight that happened with Dream Action on the ground, United with Dream on the ground. And I, I finally was able to understand all of it, yeah. right? Um, and just being in DC during that time was, I mean, it, I I don't know. It kind of leaves me, you know, just my mouth open because I was, I even did a couple interviews with Univision at that time. Now that, now that I recall. Did you? Yeah, I did. I'm going to find it on Twitter and I'll, I'll, I'll get it to you. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I'll get it to you. Um, but you know, through them, I was empowered through them. I was educated and through them, now I'm more comfortable telling this story today. Good. I'm glad you decided to do so. Yeah. So were you ever afraid to share your story? Oh, yeah. I. So really, I started telling some more. I started telling it a little bit more in law school. Mm-hmm. Because, one, I understood that when I graduated, I would be the first undocumented attorney mm-hmm. um, in Oklahoma. But two, I also understood that there were a lot of people there that had no idea what it meant to be undocumented. Yeah. Zero idea. So I started, you know, I would speak to a few, hey, so you're not a citizen? No, well, this is how it works, right? Well, this is how it goes. And I had to, I had to share that for them to understand and see that, yo, we're not the same. You yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, they know, like, in their mind, they know that we're not the same. But they don't know how. Right. Right. They see my skin color. They know that. They know I'm from OKC. They know that. But they don't know I'm, I'm, I'm undocumented. That's the one thing that's like, hey, you and I, we're not the same here. Yeah, that right? separates us for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're completely different levels here, person. Um, and so with that, you know, it has taken me a, a while to really embrace now the whole idea of the first undocumented attorney in the state of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Like... The title, I like it, but I don't want to, how do I say this, over, como te digo, I don't want to overhype it, in a sense, you know? Okay, yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't want to take advantage of this title to say, look, look at me, I'm yeah. the first undocumented attorney, um, and then people start thinking, you know, we talk, people start thinking, oh, every undocumented person should be like Cam. Like, no, that's not what I want, right? Because not every every undocumented person has to be like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so I I try to hold that off a little bit more 
um, until I talk to someone like you or mm-hmm. someone in person. I say, hey, yeah, um, I'm a DACA recipient. How are you a DACA recipient and you're an attorney? I'm like, well, this is how it goes. Right. <laughs> you Listen know? to my story. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. that's when I get to tell it um, instead of just spreading it out into the whole world. Hey, I'm the first undocumented attorney. Um, there's also an article that was written not long ago. I'll see if I can find it. I, I think I might have screenshotted it. Okay. Um, but it was, it was just about undocumented attorneys in, in the United States. And it was written by a, I guess you can call it a semi alt right group. Oh, and okay. it was like, how are these illegal, uh, immigrants, uh, able to apply the law whenever they're breaking the law and this and this and that, you know, <sighs> man, those things, man, man, coraje, you know, yeah. um, but all of those things, you know, and it's hard to like really take it all in and, and just bring it back together. But with all of that being said, now my goal is to help our people in this in, in the same situation, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I'm plug myself in a little bit here uh, with our law firm. But what we do now, right? My partner Lambert Dunn has been involved in the um, in in the Hispanic community for a long time as well. He's attended. Um, Holy Angels Church for the last 20 years or so, 15 years or so. And he's um, built a community or, or built a following there um, with his community because it's the church that he attends. Mm-hmm. It's where he congregates. It's where, you know, he he's involved with this community there. His wife is undocumented. Um, she's a DACA recipient. Really? And so, yeah. And so things like that, right? And people are like, oh, well, why don't you just get a green card? Well, it's not that simple. It's Just, really yeah. not that simple. Right. It's not that simple. Um, and so our practice is is focused on helping helping our immigrant community, right? Yeah. But we don't just help you with your immigration case. We're going to help you get your house documents, right? We're going to make sure that if you die, your stuff is taken care of and it goes to wherever you want it to. If you get in a car wreck, we're going to make sure you get the medical treatment you need and that you get the, um, the compensation that you deserve. The same thing, if you get hurt at work, we're going to make sure you get taken care of. You know, you get your weekly pays, you get your disability. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to make sure you get all the medical treatment you need. If you're going to sell something, if you're going to start your business and you need contracts, we're here to help you. I mean, the the great thing about our practice is that I have been able to learn so much in the last few years that mm-hmm. we can really touch on anything and help you with anything. And and we say, you know, I say we we tailor it to the immigrant community, but we really do. Um, for two reasons. One, because it's the community that we've grown up around. Yeah. And two, they need it, right? They need that support. They need someone, and we hear it so much. Oh no, no sabía, no sabía que había otro abogado en Oklahoma que habla español. So much. I hear it so much. I oh. hear it all the time too. Yeah, and I'm like, where are all these Hispanic attorneys? Why aren't they out here telling their people that they speak Spanish, that they can come meet with them, that they can be comfortable with them? And a lot of it really comes back to who can pay money, mm. right? And so another thing that we do with our office is we we set up payment plans. We have, um, you know, we work with the families to make sure that they can get basically the representation that they need at a decent cost. Yeah. Right? Um, so that that's part of what we do, you know. Um, and, and it's for... Families all over the state, too. That's another thing that um, being a lawyer in the state of Oklahoma, I can do anything in any part of Oklahoma. Okay. Right? The whole state. The whole state. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm uh, certified by the Oklahoma Supreme Court, and the Oklahoma Supreme Court has the whole state. Okay. So everywhere, you know, um, I've had the opportunity to go to Clinton, to Tulsa, down to I, I've been to Norman a few times, up to Guthrie, pass into Kingfisher, um, and that's just in a year, you know, of me practicing. So I'm looking forward really to just getting out, seeing some more of the state, um, getting to meet some more people. Um, I know we have a large Hispanic community in Gaiman. Really? A huge, 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 yeah. So um, if, if I'm correct, I believe that the panhandle was part of Mexico territory, Mexican territory, right? The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so the, a lot of the Hispanic community stayed there. And then even now with the factories that they have out there and all that, they have a big, a big Hispanic community out there. Um, Clinton also has a big Hispanic community, Latino, Latino community that, I, you know, um, we're friends with some of the people out there. So my goal really with, um, with everything that we do now and what I do now is to educate, um, to assist and, and really just get to meet our people, yeah. you know, um, Sometimes, sometimes people just need to talk, someone to listen to whenever they, whenever they call us, Hey, I got this going on. Da, da, da. All right. Well, you know, I, I'll sit down and talk to you. I don't know if there's much I can do for you. Um, all right. Well, yeah, I would like that. Yeah. All right, well, come on, let's talk. Let's see what, if I can't help you with this one, maybe in, in a month or two or in a year, I'll be able to help you with something else. Yeah. It's just as simple as being there. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, just being there. So that's why I said if they want to write to me, to you, yeah, you know, absolutely. send them our way. And, and, and maybe they don't need legal advice, but they need, they do need someone to understand. Mm-hmm. They do need someone that can say, hearing you guys' story, I can so relate. And I'm afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk you know, about let's it. Talk about it. And, and hopefully this um, really good, you know, chat opens up to a lot of people and and hopefully they can open up to us and yeah i I really really appreciate you being here and so happy that i've come across you and now you know we've met and hopefully you can come back for another episode because i feel like with you i can talk for a long time i'm happy i'm happy to talk (laughs) there's so much that we didn't even get to discuss yeah so um thank you thank you for being here yeah of course and uh before we do conclude there is a lightning round of questions that we ask each and every guest that we have on this podcast. All I don't right. know why I keep saying we as if I have somebody here <laughs> that I have on this podcast. You ready? Yeah. Okay. The community is asking. The community <laughs> is asking. Question number one. What is your most commonly used emoji? Uh, The soccer ball. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to say it's the soccer ball or the fire right now. Those are the two been I've been using quite a bit. My friends have been teaching me, and I say teaching lightly, yeah. to use emojis because I hate emojis. I do too. You do? Yeah, I do. Um, but because I'm into this whole social media influencing thing with yeah, yeah, like yeah. the football factory, with my Dun and Hernandez mm-hmm. law firm, and then just my personal brand as a person. Yeah. Um, I like you know I'm TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, like everything, and I'm trying to learn all these little tips and tricks. And yeah, using emojis like attracts people more. It's weird. I'm gonna have to learn that because I don't know. When we were texting back and forth, I don't know if you noticed. I don't use emojis. Yeah. I literally do semicolon and then the parentheses as a yeah. happy face. I, I don't know if that's an old school thing or not. But it's a little old school. 
Okay. So I, so I don't do what you do. I, I'll use an emoji before I do that. It's because you have to go to the different keyboard <laughs> and then like trying to find the face. Like, I, I ain't know, got time. I'm I just know. gonna do the two dots and the. <laughs> but I'm I'm learning because I have to learn now. Okay. Okay. Banda music or country? Uh, banda music for sure. Who's your favorite band? Uh, that's a hard one because I don't have I don't listen to it religiously. Like to say I have a, a favorite band. But if I had to choose country or banda, it's definitely gonna be banda. The the song that's been that comes to mind when you say banda, banda MS and Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. Yes, Dog! yes. <laughs> that's the one that comes to mind, honestly. You're you're the first person that has had banda music. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Well, mostly people say neither. Neither. But huh. people normally say country, and I, you're the first one so yeah. far. So. Well, I think I, I, you know, when I was um, <clears throat> when I was 14, I started working with my uncle. And we would do pallets. I don't know if you know what pallets are. Um, they're just like the wooden wooden crates. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You used yeah. to load stuff. And so we used to recycle pallets. And he still does. But um, we would pick up the pallets, take them apart, you know, do all this hard, crazy work throughout the summers, 115. We do it in the snow, 10 degrees. But La Seta was always on. Mm. Always, <laughs> all day. You know, so it was always La Seta just blaring in the background. And so banda 100 percent. right that's like a staple right yeah what is the best piece of advice you have ever received i think really the the piece of advice that i've taken in more than anything is um and i think it's a it's just a i can't remember if it was like an african proverb that i heard but it was uh if you want to do if you want to do something right do it by yourself if you want to do something for a long time do it with help. Oh, yeah. So it's something of that that nature. Yeah. It was like if you want to do it. Yeah, I think that's what it was. If you want to do something right, do it by yourself. If you want to do something for a long time, do it with help. That's I never heard that one. That mm-hmm. one's good. Yeah, I'm a coach. You. Yeah, I like that one. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> uh, fuck. That's, that's a, always a good one. To it's go to. it's just so easy, you know. Yeah. It's just so easy. Something happens. Ah, <laughs> that's the one. Honestly, okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh man, I'm so happy you asked this. You need to fix your fire alarm. Yes, I do. <laughs> you need a new battery, but it's not the sound. It's the um, the the little like the little like, beep just like a little like if it's just something anything in the background that's just like a constant you know oh, okay okay yeah anything like that is annoying to me because i listen when i listen to music i don't listen to a lot of the words quite often mm-hmm. i i feel the beat more i used to listen to a lot of dubstep house music mm-hmm. and i had a um a little time where i would go to camps for a lot i don't know if you ever went to camps but it was what robotic wednesdays and they'd play dubstep house music oh gotcha and i was really into it for a while and so anytime I listen to music, I listen to the beats more than I do the words. And so if it's just like us, like a, and, and it happened a lot when I was like studying too, like I'd just be studying and then like some random noise just somewhere, just ugh. <laughs> so like right now, this whole time we were doing this interview, I was like, can I believe my neighbor is doing his lawn at this moment? Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. always happens when I record <laughs> and it could be any day. It could be yeah. Wednesday. It could be Monday. Someone's always doing the lawn. I'm like, yeah that's funny uh like my wife and i'll be watching tv and she'll get a message bing and then like that's okay 
And then like two minutes, bing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> bing. I'm like, really? You just can't just turn that off? It's right in front of you. <laughs> right. You know, but little, just that little sound. And know? does she have it to where every two minutes it rings again? No, no. It's, right. it's just that it's, would just that drive one. you off. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, really? Just turn that off. Come on. Like, right. And even like a cell phone ring. That's kind of annoying now. I mean, nobody ever has that on. Everybody has it on silent. Like uh, nobody ever has, you know. Yeah, I know. That's why it's annoying. <laughs> right. We're not used to that anymore. No, no, we're not. So you, imagine having a house phone. Oh my god. Oh gosh, yeah. So what sound or noise do you love? Ooh, what sound? Um, I really like the sound of um, like food grilling. Oh. Yeah. Even if it's like just in a sartén or like yeah, that's. Mm. Mm-hmm. This morning I was making my omelet with the spinach, bacon, and a little bit of onions, mm-hmm. and so I let that kind of sauté itself, and then I add the egg and then the cheese. And you just, had a wonderful yeah. morning, man. Yeah, I loved it. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? <sighs> Which is a really hard one for you. I, I want to be an astronaut. Really, one thousand percent. Like if someone said, "Come <clears throat> practice to be an astronaut or whatever," I would go my brother wants to do that yeah 100 percent. that's cool that's my uh that's that's what i want to do when i grow up <laughs> yeah because we're so young yeah we really are you really well we're both really pretty young. yeah you're young. uh coke or pepsi pepsi dude yes. yeah yeah pepsi it really has a, a different flavor it does it really does um and then i think what drove me to pepsi was their cherry pepsi yes, yes. that yeah. is the best cherry pepsi absolutely see i knew we were yeah you know uh, we're hernandez <laughs> right on top of that right <laughs> what would you like your tombstone to read um oh that's one i never thought about um i'm supposed to be um uh, cremated um but if i have a tombstone dude i don't know that's a good one. I'm have to think on that one a little bit more. But if I had thinking off the top of my head, I would kind of like to have a family tree on my tombstone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, son las doce. I know. In Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening and you're not from Oklahoma, now you this know when you hear this. This is what we go through every Saturday. Every Saturday. And this is the noise that I hate, actually. Oh, this is the one? <laughs> <laughs> Except people shushing me. I don't like people shushing oh, me. Oh, yeah. But anyway, so you wouldn't basically well i guess you wouldn't need one yeah i wouldn't need one but i mean maybe well my wife also wants to be cremated but maybe for a family deal yeah we would you know have a a tombstone i would a family tree i think would be nice that would be nice okay last question all right if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates i would like to hear your family is here oh yeah yeah yeah, I lost my grandparents like two years ago. That was tough. I did too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that well, was... mine was like three, four years ago, but yeah, it was a tough time to go through. Yeah, mine was uh, two and three years ago. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. grandma passed away first, then my grandpa a year later. Were they here? Yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... I wish I knew the name of the song, but there's a sad song about a, a musician was out at a small rancho. And uh, a guy came up to him and was like, hey, man, yo sé que viajas mucho. I know you travel a lot. Um, here's a letter I wrote from my mom. If you ever stop 
or he was in the U.S. I'm sorry,、mm-hmm. the musician was in the U.S. and he goes, "Hey man, I know you travel a lot. If you ever stop by this rancho,、um, please go give this letter to my mom." And so the musician goes back. Just fortunately, one day is back in Mexico and is in that town, and he goes to.、Uh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, and he takes that letter to the mom, and he knocks on the door, and hands her the letter, and she like opens it. And he's walking away. She's like, "Hey, we come back. I don't know how to read this."、Oh. Yeah. So the musician's like, "All right, well, let me read this for you." And he goes on to tell you know the son's story. Like, "Mom, I miss you. I haven't seen you in so long. I'm working my butt off over here, sending you money so that you know you can live, that we can live.、Um, I hope that I'm able to make it back before you die."、Um, yeah, it's like goosebumps right now. Um, but you know that's that's a real life story. Yeah. Like a lot of us don't get to, see, or a lot of our family community don't get to see their parents when they die, or other family members. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Your family is here. That's what I would like to hear. Yeah. Thank you、uh, for that question. You're welcome. No, thank you、yeah. for for being here. I feel like I can't say thank you enough to you. Yeah. No, thank you for taking the time for being here. And、um, listeners, I hope that. This has inspired you in many ways. I hope that this has enlightened you to keep going, to strive,、mm-hmm. and and to share your stories. And like I said, if you want to write to us at fullerbrownpodcast at yahoo dot com, or look、um, to our social media, so,、uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter,、um, let us know and、yeah. share your stories. And and、uh, thank you again for being here. Anything you want to say before we we go? I think、uh, I'm I'm all worded out for today.、Um, I think the the final thing, you know, as you mentioned, anything anything we can help with, please reach out.、Um, you know, I'm I'm involved in in the community and try to try to find resources for everyone and anyone who might need them.、Mm-hmm. So we're here to help. Yes, sir. Yes, I agree. We are here to help. So, thank you, listeners, for sticking around、um, to the show, and and I hope you were inspired and. Thank you again for being here,、yeah. and I hope you come back. Yes, we'll we'll be back soon. We'll be expecting you to come back. All right, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, guys. Hey, this is Tony with Fuller Brown, and if you're listening to this segment of the podcast, that means that you've listened through the whole episode. Congratulations! Go buy yourself a concha or something. I just wanted to take this moment to remind you to follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Fuller Brown Podcast. That's it. And don't forget to write to us at fullerbrownpodcast@yahoo.com. And I'm just here to remind you: this is your story. This is your experience. Be heard. Bye.